Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog in Sesame Street. Where is it on the Muppets? I'm sorry. I've never preached a sermon in Kermit the Frog before. This could be very exciting. <laughs> I don't get out much. <laughs> I did try Donald Duck once. Yes, that was fun. Nobody understood a word I said. But anyway, Russ, would you be our candlelighter? Just light them all, because we don't have another chance for all of them. But today's the fourth advent, the advent of peace. And it reminds us of this. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those he favors, or goodwill towards men. Do you know what? It's you and I that are favored as well. He came to Mary, the angel came to Mary and said, you are highly favored. (laughs) Well, you and I are also favored. I thought that was really good. Wow, Russ, you're really good at this. Of course, yeah. There we go. We put brand new candles on the uh, Christmas evening service. This kind of didn't go well. Cheap candles. So hopefully this set will work a little bit better. By faith and sight. This is important because the wise men had faith and then saw and responded. And you can see that happening all through the Christmas store. But before we do, there was a couple things that made me stop, pause, and ponder this week. And uh, some of them are doozies. They just kind of hit my soul really well. I love this one. If you are restless... If you are not able to sit peacefully and with stability, it's because you are not established in the now. Restlessness is the disease of our times. And the more we try to fill it with the consumption of things, the more the emptiness grows and the more restless we become. We should remind each other that the now is the only thing that is solid and real. I know it's from a different philosophy, but there's a lesson in there that I thought was really, really good. The most important spiritual growth doesn't happen when you're meditating or on a yoga mat. It happens in the midst of conflict when you're frustrated, angry, or scared, and you're doing the same old thing, and then suddenly realize that you have a choice to do it differently. That's when the maturity shows up. I thought, ooh, that's good. (laughs) I like this one too from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whom, whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. This is about true surrender. I thought that was really good. He was a, a German theologian. I love this part too. This is from one of the songs. Oh, Holy Night has a verse that was intentionally left out in the 1800s and sometimes today. It goes like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Not a popular verse and not in every version of the song. I thought this is important. I, I remember this one, but it's, it's, this is a doozy. It's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. 
<laughs> Isn't that true? Lord, answer my prayer. I already did. <laughs> Lastly, from Henry Nouwen, the great spiritual task facing me is to so fully trust that I belong to God, that I can be free in the world, free to speak even when my words are not received, free to act when my actions are criticized, ridiculed, or considered useless, free also to receive love from people and to be grateful for all the signs of God's presence in the world. I'm convinced that I will truly be able to love the world when I fully believe that I am loved far beyond its boundaries. This brings us back to we love because he first loved us. Really important to remember that. It's going to be hard to love other people. In fact, there's some people you can't even stand, right? We, we have those people in our minds. But the more the love of Christ permeates our hearts and minds, it will flow into us loving others more authentically. I thought that was really good. All right, let's have this Advent meditation clip, please. A humble and faithful servant of the Lord, searching a lifetime for the consolation of Israel, here's a message from the Lord. You will not die until you see the Messiah. The whole world, whether they knew it or not, waited, watched, wondered with great anticipation for divine deliverance. And then one still and starry night, we peer into the face of perfect peace. We who once waited in darkness now see the light of salvation. We who stirred in restless turmoil welcome the newborn King. He is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. He is the long-awaited promise, the tidings of comfort, the goodwill toward man, the gift from God to his people, washing away darkness with light, offering forgiveness of sin with a cleansing sacrifice that blots out the permanent stain on the soul of all humankind and sets it into an eternal peace for all who call on the name of the Lord. The consolation of Israel has begun in the quiet town of Bethlehem. It is not the end of the story. It is only the beginning. Prophecy. If somebody prophesies or predicts something, it's almost, well, I guess using a weatherman's a really bad example. But they try to predict and prophesy what's going to happen. However, in today's scientific uh, adventures, it's not so much a prophecy, it's reading, this, reading the diagrams and such. So they're not coming up with a, an idea. They're seeing patterns. But we have a 400-year journey of when Israel was waiting to hear from God. 400 years of silence. Can I have the clicker, pretty please? Mm -mm. There we go. We have this old saying from Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is speaking ahead. This is hundreds of years before Jesus is born. 
This is speaking to what was going to come. Powerful. We, there's, in fact, there's so many prophecies, you, your jaw would kind of hit the floor. Some are kind of pushing it, okay, that, but that's how they saw the prophecy. This is how the Hebrew people saw the prophecies. So we can have our subjective ideas and go, that's not really a prophecy. That's nice. You can say that and we have the freedom to. However, when the Israelite and, and the Hebrew nation saw these texts as something pointing forward, something caught their attention. So there's a reason for that that we're unaware of. So we have to respect that too. I love this from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Where else is this in the New Testament? Anybody remember? Vaguely? Right when Jesus was asked to read in the temple. He, wrote, he chose this, that. Today it happens, and he closed the book. It's pretty powerful. But let's go back. Bethlehem was no mistake. And by the way, remember where Mary and Joseph were? They weren't in Bethlehem at the time of getting pregnant and all that stuff. This is back in Nazareth. So how are they going to get to Bethlehem? Well, guess what? A census happened, and they were forced to go to Bethlehem. They had relatives there, but it says in Micah, hundreds of years before the birth, the Lord says, Bethlehem, you will not be an important town. So you might not be an important town in the nation of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler over Israel for me. His family line goes back to the early years of your nation. It goes all the way back to days of long ago. This little town. Hmm. And then what about the star? I, I actually didn't realize there was a prophecy of a star potentially. And here it is from Numbers 24, and this is, this is how they saw it. Um, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, oops, and tear down the sons of Sheth. This, this is, it's kind of weird, but there is an insinuation for the star that the wise men ended up following. I think there's a couple others too, but this was this is the most one of the blunt ones that the Hebrew um, understanding sees as one of the pointers to that star. Gifts. I didn't know there was a prophecy of gifts that were supposed to come. May the king of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Okay. Making connection. These are things written hundreds of years before Christ. And this one could even have been written by David. How about the timing? This one is exciting. This one I did not see, and if I did, it was a long time ago and I forgot. But this is, this is very, very cool. The timing of Christ's birth uh, and life would come before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Here we go. Now listen and understand. You're going to see where, where this comes from in the Old Testament in just a moment. Listen and understand. Listen and understand. 
I don't understand this next part. <laughs> seven sets of 70 plus 62 sets of seven will pass. <laughs> Do you get that? I don't. But anyway, from, time, from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and temple. The end will come with a flood and war. And its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Daniel 9. Hmm. Well, it happened. And the utter destruction of Jerusalem happened 40 years after Christ. He warned them. Even, even when there was in Matthew he was saying, hey, if you see the armies coming, flee to the mountains. Don't, don't go get your coat in, from your house. Get to the mountains. Run now as soon as you see them coming. Because the natural default would be run into the city walls where you're protected. And all you got to do is do a little bit of history search and you're going to discover it was awful for Jerusalem. And so many Jews died and the temple was utterly destroyed. But most Christians fled to the mountains because they heard they were ready. Hmm. Wise men. I always have this fun moment of highlighting that there, you think there's three, but there weren't. Okay, just in case, we three kings of Orient are. See, music really screws up theology. It just does. And if you see some of our hymns, they're terrible, some of the lines. But there's a really good hymn or another verse right after the really bad one. How do you, that's so hard. But three wise men, no. There's nothing in the scriptures that express anything about three wise men. One, it's not logical because if they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is the only thing of three that we see there, and they may have actually brought other stuff. We just don't know about it. But if you're carrying that kind of serious cash, um, you're going to need some people around you. And they likely had like 50 to 100 people, a caravan. Very likely because you need that security in the way the world was because there were so many bandits and they had to protect themselves. So there weren't three. Just, just saying. All right. Let's get into this. Matthew chapter 2. The Magi and the Great Escape. I hope to cover these. I think I have time. Yes, I should. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near, the Jerusalem, uh, near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. And here's something cool about Bethlehem. Bethlehem or Bethlehem means house of bread, the prophesied birthplace of the Messiah. However, the Hebrew word lehem can also mean fighters. Jesus was born in the house of fighters, not the Foo Fighters, the, these fighters. This is the city of David, one of the greatest fighters in the entire Bible. Perhaps this is why the people of Jesus' day expected him to fight the Romans and free their land from foreign occupation. Jesus fulfilled both aspects of the meaning of Bethlehem and Gethsemane 
and on the cross, where he fought the Goliath on Golgotha <laughs> um, of our souls and won and became the bread for the world. This little town of Bethlehem, it's, it's more important than we realized. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem, or Magi. And again, astrologers is another way to look at them. Astronomers, the word astrology is very different. It has a different meaning back then than it does today. Uh, it's more nuanced. It's more collective. Um, it's, not, it's not just stargazing and reading signs and thinking it's your, you have to guess what your future would be and you have your tarot cards and all that stuff. It was nothing like that. These were historians and scientists and they were philosophers and deep spiritual leaders and learners. These wealthy priests would have traveled with an entourage for protection as officials from the East. The Greek word magos is taken from the Mede language and means spiritual advisors or simply priests. They were appointed by Darius over the state religion as priests of Persia, which is modern day Iran and served as official advisor to the king. By the time of Jesus' birth, Persia had been conquered and was being governed by successors to Alexander the Great. It is possible these Magos came from the Mestopian um, region of Seleucia, wherever that is, see Daniel 2 and 5, where the prophet Daniel is given the title of chief of the Magio. It is probable that these Magos were descendants of those who had been taught by Daniel, and because of his prophecy of the Messiah being cut off, they may have been able to decipher the date of his birth along with the interpretation of this star that was rising. Daniel was likely the primary teacher to those people, and 400 years of being tutored, that's, these magi were waiting. They were studying. They knew the history. They knew exactly what the religious, religious leaders in um, Jerusalem knew. They saw it all. They read it all. And we're going to find out in just a moment that's true. But to think, oh, look, a star. Let's follow that. That's cool. Okay, let's do that. That's not what happened. Some people don't realize, they, they think, oh, that's, you know, there's a weird story of Magi, and it's like God doing a miracle. No, 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 no. There's, there's some history here, and it was on purpose. And they inquired of the people, where is this child who is born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him and worship. Now, where did they go for this? I thought they read the prophecies. I thought they would know something. And they missed the Bethlehem part, I think. But where does royalty hang out? In the main cities. You don't bring a prime minister or a dignitary to Elmira. You, you bring them to like at least Waterloo, Tech City, or Toronto, capital of Ontario, or maybe Ottawa. Any of the major cities. That, that's where you bring royalty. That's where you bring distinguished guests. And just like when you have guests from out of country, you take them to Niagara Falls or wherever to, to see these big sites, okay? But they went to Jerusalem because they assumed the seat of power was there. Well, that didn't go well. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this news. I wonder why. 
First of all, Herod was disturbed because he's an evil person. He's a bad boy. He had a reputation of taking out anybody that just barely threatened his throne. Like even if you had a, a jester in the court and there was a, he made a joke about taking over the throne, well, he got done. He got impaled, dead, beheaded. He's, you don't joke about that. I think he even took out his mother. Not kidding. He took out relatives. He, he killed anyone that was even vaguely a threat. If someone gave a rumor to Herod, even though it was not true, that's a great way to get your, somebody killed for you, legally. Tell Herod he wants your throne. And that's the kind of guy Herod was. And the people knew it. So not only was Herod shaken, because, oh boy, king of the Jews, I'm the king. Well, now Jerusalem's getting all, oh shoot, what's this going to mean? I have a hunch. Don't know if that's, you know, who knows. But anyway. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and religious scholars. This is interesting. Watch this next part. Demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. And without beating or uh, a single missing a beat. Here we go. He'll be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they told him. Oh, Bethlehem. That was easy. Of course. You could look that up. They knew. They knew, but they weren't waiting. Just like that cartoon we showed at the very beginning. There's no room in the end because of the convention. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because we do that too. We get ourselves so busy with activities, conventions, and courses, and studies that we miss Jesus. The presence of Christ in us, with us, all the time. Because the prophecy states, so if the answer wasn't enough, here's the prophecy where they got it from. And you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah. For out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priests from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. See, Herod was no dummy. He caught on. And he told them, Now go to Bethlehem and carefully look there for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. <laughs> This is a drama stage, remember? And so they left, and on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star they had seen in the east reappeared. Now that's interesting. How many of you caught that over the years? That it reappeared. That means it stopped working. It got unplugged or the battery died or something happened, and they were unable to see it. But then when they headed the right direction, maybe, maybe, the star disappeared from their sight when they went to Jerusalem because it was not the right place. Maybe as they went, and maybe they heard while Herod was asking, where's this, where's this uh, baby supposed to be born? Maybe the wise men were there and heard all that, and that's why they knew Bethlehem. Or the king told them, okay, go to Bethlehem. Why wouldn't the king go? Why wouldn't he send people right away? One, he can't affirm Jewish tradition. You can't, you know, he would be a fool to go there, nothing's there, and then, oh, that means he listened to the Hebrew people, making their theology more superior. 
He didn't want competition. So he sent someone else to be the embarrassment, but also to confirm. That's what he was doing. So it reappeared. Amazed, they watched as they, it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. Huh, interesting. When they came into the house, what? Look at that. Oh my goodness, it's not a manger. Here's issue number two with the Christmas story. The wise men never showed up at the nativity scene. They showed up at a house. Almost every translation shows us that. And it was almost just around the two-year mark. Remember, Herod, you'll see later, every kid under two gets killed in that town. So there's like a, how long did it take for them to travel from when the star appeared? Did the star appear the moment Jesus was born? And then the wise men saw it and then gathered up and started traveling. It took a long, long time, likely. But here, they came to the house and saw the young child with Mary. Now, by the way, it's okay to have the magi, the wise men, in your manger scene. It's okay, because they're part of the story. They're just, you know, add-on a little later. So you got to pull it together for the sake of niceness and a nice scene. So it's okay, just so you know. When they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome. Falling to the ground at his feet, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men were extremely wealthy. They presented gifts that totaled a great sum of money. Not tiny presents wrapped with bows, but treasure chests full of financial wealth. Although we are not given the monetary value of each type of gift, we know that frankincense and myrrh were extremely costly. These gifts would have financed Joseph and Mary and Jesus' exodus to Egypt and supplied their living expenses for a number of years even after returning to Israel. Gold is an often used symbol of the deity of Christ. Frankincense points to his perfect life of holiness, excellence, and devotion. And myrrh, an embalming spice, speaks to us of the suffering love that would lead him to the death on the cross. Great symbolism in the gifts. Afterwards, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to go back. Huh. Let's take a look at this video clip and how they may have had that conversation of not going back the same way. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? We can't go back. Not this way. But this is the way that we came. I know. And it will take us directly to here. Just as he asked us to do. No, it won't do it. We've got to protect this child. Protect? From whom? We all observed Herod's reaction. We told him of our intentions to go visit this newborn Messiah. He told us to return to him to report what we saw. That's what we do. It is the way that he wanted information. Assuring us that he was going to worship this newborn king. 
his eyes? Did you see her in his eyes? They were dead. He's not known for his warmth. Besides changing course, we'll have three months to the journey. Friends, please, listen to me. Those who came before us were shown the scriptures by day, of course. And then we have studied these scriptures. We've weighed them. We've found Next scene that is in the series, they show up at the manger. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was funny. After they had gone, Joseph had another dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Get up now and flee to Egypt. Take Mary and the little child and stay there until I tell you to leave. For Herod intends to search for the child to kill him. So that very night... He got up and took Jesus and his mother and made their escape to Egypt. And he remained there until Herod died. All of this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through his prophet. I summon my son out of Egypt. This is the second weird location where the Messiah is supposed to be coming from. Mary and Joseph got forced through a census to go to Bethlehem because the prophecy said in Bethlehem it'll happen. Well, how does this Egypt thing work? Well, thanks to Herod, it happened. They got forced out, and off they went to Egypt until Herod died. Hence the prophecy. It's pretty cool when you see all these connected dots coming together. When Herod realized that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. So he sent soldiers with orders to slaughter every baby boy, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding countryside. Not just Bethlehem, the whole region. That's a lot of death, a lot of sorrow. 
Based on the time frame he was given from the interrogating, from interrogating the wise men, this fulfilled the words of the prophet Jeremiah. I hear the screams of anguish, weeping and wailing in Ramah. By the way, prophecy, these things foretold, is not God saying, I'm going to make this all happen. Otherwise, God could be the cause of this horror, which I don't believe God is a cause of this death at all. I think that's the way evil works. Instead, having the prophecy is seeing in advance and knowing what is going to happen. That's different than causing it to happen a certain way and then telling everybody how it's going to work. It's food for thought if you've not thought of it like that before. But I think there's more to prophecy than we've been told. I think it's much deeper and wider. I think there's a better way to understand prophecy because prophecy also means to unveil and find understanding even in a text. It's pretty cool. I think, I think that's it. Oh yeah, oops, back to this. I hear screams of anguish, weeping and wailing in Rama. Rachel's weeping uncontrollably for her children and she refuses to be comforted because they are dead and gone. Four candles. Advent. And the fifth one is Christmas, which is, according to our calendar, tomorrow. Another fun little tidbit. It's most likely that Jesus was not born on December 25th. I'm, I'm sure you guys have figured that out by now. But it's most likely sometime in March. End of March, beginning of April. That's, that's kind of, for those doing some history and research, I think that's uh, a more natural time uh, according to the calendar. So uh, again, that's open for understanding and debate. But definitely not the 25th of December, just, just in case you wondered. <laughs> Let's close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this season of remembering. Thank you for inviting us into the story of how Jesus was born and all the prophecies that brought, brought us to this exciting time. And we get to benefit. We get to reap the benefits of this whole journey and receive and believe and experience your life in us. May we experience peace. May we be peace to those around us over these, this holiday season. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.